Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. music. I'm going to turn to John chapter 17. John chapter number 17. A lot of different festivities this morning. Grateful for those of you that endured to the end. The same shall be saved. Amen. I'm not joking. Amen. That endured this morning. Amen. As there is honor being given to all the different the different uh, ministries, pastoral ministries, if you will, of this church. John chapter number 17, turning there tonight. Um, I'm going to start reading with verse number 13. I'm trying to get there myself here this evening. There are, there are some nights you come to the pulpit and you just know exactly what to do. And there's other nights you just don't know what to do. Let me just be honest. It's kind of like a, you know, like they used to say, old mule looking at a new gate. <laughs> you just don't know how to approach it or what to do. Amen. And so that is my that is my platform here this evening. John 17, I want to start reading with verse number 13. This is, uh, by and large, otherwise known as the high priestly prayer of Jesus Christ. This is a prayer that he prayed uh, for his disciples uh, on the eve before his Garden of Gethsemane experience, and not just for them as we will see, but for others as well. But John 17 and verse number 13, the Bible states these words. And now I come to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but thou shouldest keep them from the evil. So the request of God, the Lord, is don't take them out, keep them in, but protect them. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself that they also might be sanctified through the truth. I don't have a title for this. I'll leave that up to the great media staff here. Amen. To tap into their creative side here tonight. I want to minister along the lines of John chapter number 17 here this evening and I, I I might be doing more walking than running through this but let's just approach it here tonight father I come to you God I'm grateful Lord Jesus for our opportunity Lord Jesus here tonight God I pray oh Lord today God let the word of God be able to speak some truths into our lives help us to learn something God from your word I pray oh God not to be learners only but God doers Lord Jesus of your word here this evening God, we need you, Jesus, in this place, God. Let there be a spirit of enlightenment and revelation, God, that would fall upon our lives. 
God, and will not fail to thank you and praise you for it. In the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray. Amen and amen. The church say amen. Amen. You may be seated. I tried to give a hint to Brother Malone tonight as he came to the platform. I said, if you just feel it, come on. And you just need to go on and preach as you're starting. Son, go with it. And he laughed in my face. He laughed in my face. And so I'm a little disappointed, honestly. Amen. This episode of everything that is happening it is during a time of a Passover celebration this isn't the first time of course that they had approached Passover John may be a sensing a little bit that this one would be different from all the other Passovers that they had engaged themselves in but he didn't know really until it happened just how different this Passover would be it did not start well not at all whenever you read the storyline it had been the same old argument between the disciples as it would be, as they have had at different times in their walk and relationship with God. The same old posturing, if you will. One disciple that is claiming to be more important than the next disciple. Amen. And as a result of that, everybody's kind of there with some bruised egos. And uh, they're, they're not very tactful about how they are refusing just the normal courtesy that one would give whenever a guest entered the house and that was in the process of washing feet each disciple to wash another's feet to get the grime off their feet but that's not going to happen in this setting that we read in scripture amen uh, it takes somebody of a lesser stature perhaps we could get a slave in here in order to do this menial work they would much rather, I would uh, believe that they would much rather eat the Passover with smelly feet than to stoop down and wash one another's feet. And so as it would be seemingly embarrassing for them, it wouldn't take long though before the Lord entering into the room and being there would assume that role of girding himself with a towel and taking the role of a servant and wash their feet. The Bible even tells us, we know this quite frankly, that the Lord would even wash Judas's feet Amen. John had a, perhaps a certain inclination that Judas was up to no good and that he was over the treasury, you will, of the disciples and that no doubt betrayal was in his heart. Jesus even knew this, but he washed his feet nonetheless. He told him to go do that which, you know, is required, which he was referring to, getting uh, everything as far as the band of men together in order to betray the Lord. Others stopped, though. They were just talking about it. he needed to do some things for preparation. But nevertheless, it was in this night that the Lord took some very common things and he made the common things holy. He would take bread and set it before his disciples and he would liken it to his broken body. He would set before them the fruit of the vine, very common things, but he would relate it to his shed blood for them. And he would take some very common things and he would make them holy. And in all the words that Jesus spoke, though, perhaps there was none that were more amazing to those that sat there that day when just before they left for the Garden of Gethsemane, that he prophesied over the disciples, admonishing them in a prayer here in John chapter 17. And from his lips, he would state some things like this. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them which shall also believe on me through their word. Meaning that Jesus' prayer in that moment wasn't just for every one of his disciples that he had spent his three and a half years with, but for everyone that would believe on him through their words and through their 
testimony. He wasn't just invoking a blessing on his disciples. He was invoking a blessing on others that might know him through them. When we look at the prayer of John chapter 17, we might begin to ask ourselves some questions tonight. Why in the world would Jesus Christ need to pray? You know, why why in the world would Jesus Christ need to pray? God manifested in the flesh, but as we learned in our God is one study, and that is this, Jesus Christ was truly divine. He was the I am of the Old Testament, the one that he even spoke in the New Testament that before Abraham was I am. He was that I am, but he was also a man. He was also humanity. Amen. And as a result of being Man, fully human. He led by example as a man that he needed and it was required of him to pray. We read in scripture that he suffered like a man. He ate like a man. He slept like a man. He was tempted like a man. Why in the world don't you believe he would want and need to pray? Like a man. God could not die. Amen. It was the man Christ Jesus who died. For our sins because he was a man. And so Jesus had genuine faith just like any other man had. He had faith that prayers were heard and answered and he would pray. And prayer was a part of the spiritual work that Jesus Christ desired to accomplish upon the earth. So he was a man that was praying among men for the salvation of every individual. But not only is prayer something that humans can do, that all of us can do, but it is something that we must do. I think that's the story that Jesus is trying to convey to his disciples and anybody that ever witnessed him praying. It's not just something that humans can do, but it's something that we must do. In Genesis, it is humanity, mankind on the sixth day. That is that crowning achievement of God's creation. There's the animals, yes, and there's the plants and the trees, yes, and they all had their important functions and their important roles. But humans have this ability to choose. Everything else is at the command of the Lord, doing as he would want them to do. But humans, we get to choose. And whenever you have a choice, amen, there's a lot of things that are on the line. Because the most important choice we make is to choose virtue, or if you will, choose to do those things that please the Lord. Amen. And to do that, that requires faith. To do that, that involves the necessity then of men praying. Can someone say amen? And so when we talk about prayer, prayer is nothing more but communing with God. Amen. We listen to him and we talk to him. That's the basis of it. We listen to him and we talk to him. God gives us direction. He helps us. He sometimes reframes our circumstances. But what we oftentimes overlook is this, that while humans too oftentimes are focused on the brokenness and the limitations that we have, God many times looks beyond our present circumstances to the wholeness and the redemptive work and purpose that he can accomplish in our lives. When we pray, our spirits and our minds get get reoriented to God's perspective. And I guarantee you in a fallen world, we need to sometimes tap into the perspective of God. Because he can speak things through the realm of the spirit. Amen. That can get us realigned with what's really going on. 
If we're not careful, we'll get caught up in the hopelessness and the drudgery of the present circumstance. But if we can, through a spirit of prayer, get tapped into God, he can make us realize a God purpose and a God plan. Whenever we read in John 17, Jesus prayed. This was his last prayer, his last pronouncement, if you will, before his betrayal, before his trial, before his crucifix. He's in a need right now of strength himself. He's in need right now for strength of himself, but while he's in need himself, he's offering a prayer, a blessing, and he's ministering to his closest confidants, his closest followers, his disciples. Amen. Can I tell you tonight that prayer doesn't have to be prayer just when you feel like it. Prayer can be prayer when you don't feel like it. You can pray for another's need when you're in need yourself. Amen. By the example of Jesus Christ, that is exactly what he did. He prayed for five things concerning them mainly. He prayed that God would protect them, that God would bless them, that God would enrich them. He prayed for their spiritual protection. He prayed for their joy. Amen. Those that would follow him. He prayed for the service that they would give unto him. He prayed for their unity. He prayed for their love. Someone say amen. And this is the prayer then. Number five. Here's the, fifth one, the, the, the first one of the five I want to talk to you about tonight. He said keep them from the evil one. Keep them from the evil one. We know today, let's get real with ourselves. We've heard it stated many times from this pulpit. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but principalities and powers, spiritual wickedness, rulers, things in high places. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We do, though, wrestle against the adversary. We do wrestle against the realm of Satan. There is another kingdom besides the kingdom of God that's at work. Bishop and I was having conversation outside of his vehicle the other night when he come to show it off and show it to me and such. Proud of it. Nothing wrong with that at all. But we were talking. I don't remember. He had some, some thing that happened during the night the other night. And he asked me if I was sleeping during that night. And I said, I was sleeping like a baby. Thank God it was your, your session, you know. And so he was talking about it. But I, I kind of relate to him. And we were talking about how we are really fighting against spiritual things. And don't really know if, if, if even everybody sitting here tonight even understands the, the cesspool of, of, of where we live and the, the, the real spiritual dynamic of where we live and I told him I said I was just reading the other morning in the book of Jude the Bible talks about that there were men that crept in the Bible says unawares they were there to do some things but there wasn't a real recognition by others that they were there they were there unawares and I think sometime even in the position where we are as a church even in our community and I'm not saying anything bad about the community I'm saying there is a spiritual climate here that things are here and sometimes we're unaware of them being here there's things that takes place and happen in our own homes and families that in reality it's nothing more but a tactic of the old slufa if you will the enemy of our soul the bible portrays him as the strong man and the strong man needs bound the bible says amen sometimes and I, I'm, again I'm not throwing off on anything we have real practical sicknesses but I believe there's some things even the adversary tries to place upon us and, and, and all these different things that try to come and destroy destroy at times and the Lord said in my prayer that I pray for them I'm praying God that you would keep them from evil we've been called to a fight 
All throughout the scripture, we have been called soldiers and warriors and we're called, there's a lot of analogies drawn from us being on a battlefield and that's what we are called to. That's the reason why he told us in Ephesians 6, we gotta put on the helmet of salvation and the breastplate of righteousness and gird our loins with truth and have the feet shod with the preparation of the gospel, the peace, the sword of the spirit in one hand and above all, taking the shield of faith that we might be able to stand. But we were to arm ourselves like that, not for each other but against the principalities and the powers and the rulers of darkness and spiritual wickedness there was a reason he said keep them from the evil one he didn't say the evil many or the evil community or the evil committee he said the evil one keep them from the evil one He's there trying to attack our families, be a stronghold against our families, our friend, our church, amen, even in our community. But the Lord said, as a model to his disciples, should pray, deliver us from the evil one. That's not him speaking of evil in the general sense. That's him getting specific. Your adversary, the devil. Someone say Amen. <laughs> Keep us from the evil one. Even today, not in our land and probably more, uh, probably more sensitive to it than we are in America, missionaries in foreign lands talk about the battles that they fight, that they fight in the realm of the spirit, spiritual battles and victories that are won over real demonic powers. I know it's Halloween, so let's get spooky. Over real demonic powers that are in their lands. Listen, you don't have to be a third world country or be outside the United States in order for there to be demonic powers. We got our own set too. The only thing I believe is that America is more unaware of hers than some other countries are of theirs. Because they place their temples and they have their gods out to show. Ours more are in secret and underneath the surface. They still exist. We just don't make a parade about it. So we, 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 we got to pray against the evil one. Number two, his prayer for them is that they, might, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. That they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. We talk about joy. We talk about happiness. There's a couple different kinds of happiness. The first sort is a happiness that results from people avoiding pain and engaging then in pleasurable activities. This was according to Aristotle. They would get away from the pain and engage in pleasurable activities. Then there is a second sort of happiness that comes only as people focus on a deeper purpose. So one is avoiding the pain, go to the pleasure, and then another is focusing on a deeper purpose. The first sort of happiness, getting away from the pain and going to the pleasure is really just a surface happiness. But the pleasure that comes from going the distance of focusing on a purpose. See, trying to get away from the pain and go to the pleasure, that's self-gratification. That, that's self-gratification type of happiness. It's fleeting. It oftentimes is here today and gone tomorrow once the behavior changes or the pleasure is over. In reality, it is kind of self-destructive. But on the other hand, when we talk about happiness that is more enduring, it's the one that seeks after the deeper purpose. Jesus prayed that his disciples would have joy 
Specifically, the same joy that he had, that they might have my joy. <laughs> Woo! This is what he really desires for you is what he has. <laughs> he says, my prayer for them is that they would have my joy. They would have my joy and it would be fulfilled in themselves. I'm not wanting them to borrow it. I want it to become their own. I want them to have ownership over the same joy that I have. That would be their joy. And that's going for a deeper purpose. That's not surface. That's not pleasure. That's not avoiding pain because Christ, even in his pain, retained his joy. Hallelujah. He says, I want them to adopt as their very own my joy. Someone say amen. My joy. I said it this morning. I quote it yet again to you tonight. God's great purpose was this, even in Hebrews 12, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. Huh? His entire life was self-sacrifice. But he still had a joy that surpassed not all Others, someone say amen. And so when we appropriate the prayer of Jesus Christ in our lives, we claim the blessing by dedicating our lives to live as he lived. With a higher purpose. Mm -hmm. A higher purpose that generates a joy that's not on the surface, but a joy that is even, might I say, contagious. Because when we have fellowship with God and when we have fellowship with godly Christians and we leave those encounters, there's something inside of me that I'm filled with a desire to just be more like him. Whenever I rub shoulders with you like we did last night and we just had fun, even if it's just playing basketball, my body was sore this, or, or volleyball, my body was sore this morning. Even just for moments like that and I got in bed late last night, you know what? It put a desire inside of me just to be a good Christian, just, just to have fun and, and just be able, you know, to walk godly. Just put a desire in me. Just want to do that more and more. Amen. I was riding with Josh Johnson on that first trip and we are talking about, man, look at the parking lot. Isn't it and he said, yeah, I wish we would see that a whole lot more often. I said, well, we just need more stuff like this. What are you saying? We need episodes where people can adopt the joy of the Lord for themselves. That it's not just something tangible on the shelf that they go and grab periodically. But that becomes who they are. That becomes their process. That becomes, you understand what I'm saying? Honey, I don't want to tell somebody, come meet the Lord, and he has a joy. No, come meet the Lord. He has a joy that can become your own. It can be your way of life. It can be like a river. It can flow out of you even. Amen. Number three, he prayed, sanctify them by your truth. Sanctify them by your truth. This is Jesus' prayer. Jesus, as a man, praying to God. All right? Sanctify them, sanctify them by your truth. You could go today to the Smithsonian Museum in Washington, D.C., and you would come to a place encased in, in glass. Abraham... Lincoln's glasses that he wore is there in the Smithsonian Museum 
in Washington, D.C. Now, by and large, they have intrinsically very little value because they have been scratched up, all right, through his use. They look like of that era, basically like any other set of spectacles of that same era of the 19th century, but they are made valuable. You listening? They're made valuable because of the one with whom they are associated. Hallelujah. Just like any other pair. Someone probably has the exact same lenses, exact same brand of glasses that Abraham Lincoln had. If they searched through their centuries or their grandparents, they probably had the exact same pair, have scratches and all that. But these are more valuable than them because of who they were associated with. Can I tell you tonight that the things that are associated with God, the things that are associated with heaven, of their own, they have no intrinsic worth or value, but by virtue of being associated with God, by virtue of being associated with heaven, there is an increase of their value. There's an increase of their hear what I'm saying? You go to the Old Testament and some of those grappling hook and some of those snuff dishes and some of those spoons were not unlike any other spoon or snuff dish or grappling hook. But because it was dedicated to the service of the Lord, it raised it to a place of holy. It raised it to a place. My God. Oh God. Someone say hallelujah. It went from the mundane to the holy because of what it was associated with. In estimable value, the moment it was dedicated to God. <laughs> he said, Sanctify them by your truth. What's sanctify? Set apart. Distinguish them by your truth. What's he saying? Whenever you get associated with truth, it puts you on a level different from any other that's just common. That's right. It increases our value. When you've been baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, when you've been filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost, when you've been made holy, when you have been made sanctified, honey, it has increased your value in the eyes of heaven. And Jesus is praying. I'm praying for my followers to be sanctified. I want them to be sanctified by truth. That didn't mean they dropped out of society. That didn't mean they isolated themselves from the world. But that just meant they had a greater impact for the world. Be oh, yes. Because their association had changed. It's not about becoming a group of goody tissues. Better than yous. No. It's about being associated with something that's bigger than you are. Sanctify them. I want them to be sanctified. A world that did not know the Lord greatly at that time to the degree that they needed to know him. Sanctify them by thy truth. Thy word is truth. And he'll send these same people then into the world. A world that's controlled by the evil one. <laughs> and they're going to live out God's purpose and they're going to live out God's plan and they're going to take dominion and where their feet land they're going to own by virtue of their association. Let's say amen. Number four. 
They say it's bad to have sermons that have numbers in it because everybody knows then how close or how far you are from ending. <laughs> he says that they, here's his other prayer, that they all may be one. Jesus was one with God, if you say, if we're going to talk about it in terms like that, in that Jesus even proclaimed himself that I am in John 8. For Abraham was, I am. Professed himself to be the I am. God had stated that then to Moses in the Old Testament of being the I am. He is, Christ is, divine. But there is another way concerning that oneness. As a man, Jesus was in perfect sync with God's perfect plan. The Bible says there's nothing that he did that wasn't the instruction of his father. It wasn't a thing that he did that wasn't the instruction of his father. Not only did he do the things that was asked of him, but he lived in unity with the purpose of what his father desired. That is the sort of unity in John 17 that Jesus was praying for his disciples. He wanted them to be listening to, but living in the Spirit. New Testament, I oftentimes pray it whenever I pray. When it talks about being led of the Spirit, because those that are led by the Spirit are actually the sons of God. Someone say amen. It's not just about us all having the, the same denominator, if you will, like a map. We all are threes or we all fours. But it's about following the commandments of the Lord to love God, the two greatest, and to love one another. And the blessing, though, of the second commandment flows out of the first commandment. Amen. The blessing of loving one another is because we truly love God. God and we can't love one another in reality as James said unless and not James Malone unless we he might have said it and then unless we love God that's the unity that Jesus is speaking of that's that's the type of thing that keeps Pittsburgh happenings from taking place amen Oh, no, that's too simple. No, that, that's just as simple as it needs to be and as complex as it needs to be. That's what it comes down to. And so we come with this then New Testament word that begins to, to flourish and pop up in Scripture. It's the word of fellowship. Fellowship. Everybody say it. Fellowship. Fellowship involves giving. It involves giving. It means that we got to put the needs of others before our own. Giving. The oneness which Jesus prayed was for a costly unity of fellowship. He said, I want it to be with them. And I, I, not only that, I think he would want us to pray some of these same things for ourselves and for our churches and for our families. That we would be in unity. Amen. Sacrificing ourselves for the Lord with a deep purpose, if you will, so that we might be a blessing to others. I've come, I've come to terms, maybe within the past few months in reality, I think, if I, if I were to look introspectively at the church. Everybody say the church. And this makes for a good message, but it also is really good to come to terms with that the modern day church 
today's church, let me just state it like that. We have, we have leaned so far to being consumers, being consumers that I want to come to church and see what he'll do for me. I want to come to church and hear the song I like played. I want to come to church and see what it can do for me. But when we do that, we lose the sense of unity of being able to see what we can do for somebody else. I've read posts here lately of different ones, uh, even within our church, and uh, my heart went out and I read Sister Tasha's post, everything that she's going through and her just getting honest online with the things that her body is being riveted through, you know, with. Uh, just imagine if we all keep a consumer mentality of what's best for me. Then there's stuff like that that goes unnoticed. There's stuff like this that takes place. Well, you know, uh, I don't get that why she can't show up. You know, I seen her on Saturday. She's not there on Sunday. You know, I didn't feel good on Saturday either, but I showed up. always try to practice in a pastorate and that is this I try not to Lord I pray that I, I'm successful I try not to judge anything too harshly because I'm trying to think what if I was in those exact shoes and here's the thing none of us are in anyone's exact shoes we might have similar circumstances we might feel listen everybody's hard time is hard to you you understand what I'm saying your hard time is the hardest to you and, and this is not a competition that if you miss five days, you know, well, I miss six. Or do I have the license to, to, to get on there and say, well, Sister Tosh, you know, I had a bad point in my life here a while back. I didn't talk about, bless God, and, and you just got to work your way through it. That's not oneness. Oneness is, you know what, I hear a cry from somebody. I hear a cry from somebody that's going through something very deep, going through something very dark who has absolutely shaken her world and she has a lot of misunderstandings of others around her about where she is. And the best thing that I can offer her is not a hand to try to point out what needs to be done or how to remedy the situation. Have you tried this? Try that? No. I just need to link arms with her and I'm going to go to God to prayer and I don't know if God's going to, you know, answer the way that I want him to answer but I know when I get finished he's going to have a heard what I had to say concerning that need. It's about laying down a life for somebody else. We got a lot of sickness in this church. We got a lot of disease in this church. We got a lot of things that the doctors can't even figure out around this church. Folks, if anything, that should make us judgmental of one another. That should make us compassionate of one another. That should bring a unity. If we can't stand on anything, we should be able to stand on the terms. You got diabetes. I got diabetes. They don't know what's wrong with you. They don't know what's wrong with me. I feel pain most days and I don't feel pain. Honey, maybe God's trying to find us some common ground where we can be on the same page. There's with great purpose a reason why the disciples slept where he slept, walked where he walked, went on the same mountain that he went on, was by the water he was, ate the same food he was. You know what that was creating? Unity. They all ate the same thing, slept at the same place, experienced the same stuff.
Well, I know we don't have the ability to do this, but it might be good if I just went and stayed a week at the Terry and Rhonda McGee household for one week. And then get done there and go sleep on the couch with the Malones. Get done there and go to Mike and Brenda Trout's house and let me pitch a tent just outside their door. Sometimes it's hard to understand pain unless you've been through pain. You know, Brother Boyd used to always say, he said, you know what? He said, here's something he always said. He said, you know what? He said, it's the man, the man that preaches against a brush in the comb is the one that doesn't have any hair. Because he doesn't need it, so it doesn't mean anything to him. <laughs> we doing okay here. I, mean, I know I'm floundering around up here a little bit tonight, but God's going to help us maybe. Pray that they might be, that they might be one. <laughs> God has more than one way of making us one. Number five, I'll hurry up here. I told Brother Mason I'm going to have to start finding somebody else to be able to preach on Pastor Appreciation Sundays. That isn't somebody that's involved in it. You wasn't here this morning, you don't even know what I'm talking about. Five, and have loved them as you have loved me. And have loved them as you have loved me. Psychologists say that if children experience consistent loving care, first two years of their life, it makes a profound difference for the rest of their lives. First two years makes a profound difference for the rest of their lives. They say that they feel safe. They have basic, basic characterizations of being able to trust. Huh? The Bible says that God loved the world. <laughs> God loved the world. Let that sink in for a moment. He loved the world. My tunnel vision sometimes wants me to think that he loved the church and the world's a conditional. That's not what it is. He loved the world. He doesn't love me because I'm a perfect Christian. Romans says he loved me while I was yet a sinner. He loves in this way because he is who he is. I know as individuals, sometimes we struggle to receive the forgiveness of God for failures that we may have done or we may have committed or so have you. And at times it's easy to forget the grace of God. But I understand through Scripture that I needed his grace even to approach him. Amen. We oftentimes need to be reminded the saying that the same grace that I need to approach him for salvation is the one that I need to approach him 
for forgiveness. Whenever I exercise my faith, I stand upon the unconditional love of God. It doesn't only help me, but it helps everybody else that I'm associated with. Because if I can learn his love, maybe I can show his love. Someone say amen. Because the love of God, this is what I'm, we were sitting with Mark and Jamie McCool just two weeks ago. And we were eating with them. The McCool household name goes back for generations. I, like I told him, I introduced them and I said, I think that they predate Moses. And we were sitting with them and we were talking with them. And we were just sharing a few things back and forth and, uh, you know, life pastorates, so on and so forth, in the context of ministry, of just them and us. And uh, we said a few things, and Brother Mark McCool said this, and I believe this is, probably, this is probably the vein of their church, and it spilled over into anybody that they've ever had any impressions upon. And we were just talking about things, and Brother Mark McCool said this. He said, well, that's just where you just keep on loving the person. And I looked then in that moment through that lens at a church that's just entered into a new building. It's a sizable church. It was founded in Knoxville, built from just nothing to where it is now. And then I begin to think about Kenneth Carpenter that was born out of that church and where his church is, and then something just clicked. There must be something to this loving people through their junk stuff. People must be attracted by an unconditional Must be something to this unconditional love stuff. When the bad is done, you know it's been bad, but you love in spite of it. Oh, God, help me. I just was speaking with Brother Reinhardt here recently. Brother Reinhardt, he's had a dynamic change in the leadership of his church. He said, I was always, this was me, Brother McGee, always. He said, if somebody wasn't doing something right, I would just be the first to stand in line to tell them, you know what, you're just really not doing that right. Just really not doing it. He says, now if they are sweeping the parking lot and they're putting all the leaves on the edge and not out of sight, man, you're doing a great job. That's wonderful. And his church that probably went to from around 80 or so is now running 120 in just a short period of time. I'm not saying it is the, the secret ingredient to the noodles, but I'm saying it is an ingredient. Someone say amen. Okay. Stand with me and I'll bring her to a close. I don't want to start meddling. Uh, unconditional love. <laughs> and uh, Let me review through my mind's portfolio here. I remember it so much. Because I piece these things together. You know, you, I know you preach doctrine, you preach truth, you preach all that stuff, but my mind is constantly thinking, you know, trying to find, if you were, Brother Fred, the secret ingredient, honestly. And so the only thing I know is to go to people that I deem that per se has it. And so then I think back then, I think back then to, to like Bishop Sizemore, Brother David Sizemore's father. Astounding church. Astounding church. Many of you have been there. 
And whenever he died, whenever he died, there were so many different people that, that meant something, that he meant something to them, and they stood up at his funeral, those that they had asked to say stuff. And someone was talking about, said, Brother, Brother Sizemore, Brother Sizemore made me feel like I was his best friend. And then another one was like, well, he made me feel like that. Before you know it, you had all these people to everybody felt like Brother Sizemore made them feel like he was their best friend. What is that? That's love. That, that's love. And so the prayer of Jesus for us, yeah, deliver him from the evil one. Absolutely do that. I want my joy to be fulfilled in them. I want them to be sanctified by association. Their value is going to increase. I want them to be one, absolutely. But also, love them as you have loved me. And not only that, but let their love for their mankind be as you have loved me. Guess what I'm saying tonight, folks, is uh, maybe we need to tap in a little bit more eagerly on the secret ingredient of love. Amen. Secret ingredient of love. If we bow our heads here this evening, God, let your prayer, let your prayer, God, for your followers, God, let that prayer become, become our guide. Let that prayer become our guide. That we would fight the real battles, the real battles that are there to be fought, Lord, in the realm of the Spirit. God, that we would, Lord, make your joy our own. God, that we would have a unity that is sacrificial in the sense that it's not about me just consuming or being a consumer, but about also me being a giver. Lord, I'm not talking about money, but a giver, giving of ourselves. Lord, that there would be a spirit of love, a spirit of love that, that, that sidesteps, if you will, just always having to be the pointing figure, but can sometimes just be the word of encouragement for what has been done, for what has been done. God, I pray, Lord, I want to be what I need to be. God, I want to be, God, what I need to be. Let me tell you something. I read something a long time ago, and right now it eludes me where I read it. Listen, this is what I read. That we impress people by our strengths, but we connect with people by our weaknesses. You hear me? We impress people by our strengths, but we find true connections with people by our weaknesses. And I have found in my own personal life that I've been impressing more people than I've been connecting with. Because I'm going to show them the dog and pony show when everything's been primmed and proper. Huh? I'm going to show them the best. That impresses people. But that suffers in connecting with people. You know when you connect with people? Whenever Tasha McGee says, this is what my life's like. Guarantee you there's somebody else in the cloister of a closet somewhere that says, man, I can identify with that. 
we can showcase the best music up here. And it's my understanding that the best teaching and preaching, I don't do it, but some people say it's good, but nevertheless, that don't do it. That just impresses people. What connects with people? This is where I've been wounded. I have more bad days than I got good. We need a church that people can connect with and not be impressed by. You can impress all by yourself, but if you're going to connect, somebody else is going to have to be involved. Let's be a church that can connect with our community. These altars are open tonight. Let us be a church that can connect. Unimpress them. God, I could. Man, I tell them everything I know, and we can do series after series and open up just sacred truths of the word and nuggets of truth. We need to connect with somebody. God says, let my joy be in them. Keep them, Lord, from the evil one. Let there be fellowship. Let there be fellowship. Let them have an unconditional love. <laughs> Sir, man, please, I challenge us tonight. We need to be a connecting church. Our tagline is where heaven and earth connect. But we got to be able to connect through our weaknesses. I tell you tonight, I... I I think consequently that there's been many people that's come on our church and they've been impressed by the church, but they never found a place to connect with the church. God, this isn't some act, God. This is some not at some act, God, where somebody's trying to pay admission to see. Oh, the greatest production out there. They're real people. God with real mistakes. Oh, let's talk to God tonight. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.